Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. Come, O Lord, and set us free. Amen. Please be seated. I'm glad to see you in church this third Sunday of Advent. While the world is busily preparing for Christmas in the midst of long-delayed family gatherings, in the midst of pre-holiday COVID screenings, haircuts, shopping, cooking, all the work and anxiety that goes into these days, I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad you made time for church. And I have one question for you, you brood of vipers, (laughs) you children of snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. (laughs) It's a little bit of a joke, I think, in today's gospel. Bear with me on that. The Jordan Valley, the Jordan River, it's the bottom of the world. It's the lowest point on the planet. And it was a full day's walk from Jerusalem down to the closest place on the Jordan, from the city out there to the wilderness. And the road was known for bandits, and the road home was all uphill. It wasn't by mistake. It wasn't a side trip. It wasn't something you did between grocery runs to make your way down to the Jordan to hear John. Matthew's gospel puts these words about the children of snakes, the brood of vipers. Must have been words with John, at least two of the Gospels mention them. But in Matthew, John the Baptist uses that phrase, that invective, for the Sadducees and the Pharisees that have supposedly made the journey down to be looky-loos at the baptism. The religious authorities are mocked. But in Luke, the story we have this morning, something else is happening. In Luke, John uses the words on the crowd who came to be baptized, which is why I wonder if there isn't a bit of humor in John's words. Children of snakes, brood of vipers. If the words had become a bit of a catchphrase, and so John used them to kid his tired and dusty followers, the Baptists who made that long, arduous journey, the people who had decided to put their chips in with the radical vision of the wilderness prophet. John was revered as a preacher, and I wonder if humor was part of what inspired the crowds to make the pilgrimage. And John was reimagining all sorts of things. He was reimagining the role that faith could play in people's life. He was reimagining the rules. John was even reimagining baptism. For John, baptism wasn't just about cleansing from sin. Baptism wasn't just about getting clean. For John, baptism was a new birth, a chance to start afresh. And so I wonder if it took a little humor to get folks loose enough to get there. And besides this phrase, brood of vipers, or as our translation has it, the children of snakes, there's really one word associated with John the Baptist, one really important word. It's the one word about which we know John wasn't kidding. 
and it doesn't appear in our translation today. We started using this common English Bible here at Holy Communion a couple years ago, and it's stuck. It's the most modern version the Episcopal Church approves for worship. And this word is not in the entire text of the Bible I checked. So what is this one word? What is the one word we usually associate with John? Yeah, repent. Repent. And now I wish I could have been a fly on the wall of that decision of the Bible editors. This edition of the Bible is an American edition. It's from the 21st century. And it was the most diverse group of scholars that had ever come together on a translation of the Bible. And Paul Franklin of Abingdon Publishing, who helped lead the project, explained that removing the word repent was one of the more controversial decisions. We've associated the word repent with John with this passage since at least King James authorized the first translation in English. But the word that John uses in the original, metanoia, it's not loaded with our medieval or modern baggage. Metanoia means simply change your mind. The Greek is pretty close to the Hebrew and the Aramaic in this. The word that most often gets translated from the Hebrew Bible as repent is shuv, which means to change direction, to turn around, to turn back, to change your path, change your mind, change your path. In our translation today, John tells his followers, those snakes, to produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. Took a lot of words to get to that one word, right? Change your hearts and lives. That's what our translation uses for the word we're used to hearing as repent. And I know some of you will want to debate. I know this congregation well enough. I'm happy to talk. If you're here today in person, let me get through saying hello to folks at the line after the service, but I'll stick around. We can talk. Or I'm happy to get together. If you're not here in person, send me an email. We'll get together after the holidays. We can talk about repentance. Absolutely. We can unpack all those sackcloth and ashes. But this morning, just for a bit, what would happen if we played along? What if the word of God didn't come to John in the wilderness in order to make people feel guilty, in order to bring about shame? What if God has something else in mind this Advent? Let me ask this another way. Have you ever made a decision in your life that fundamentally changed your heart, changed the way you live? I can't tell you how many folks have told me across my time in ministry, I wish I had retired years ago. The monkey is off my back. I have times for the things I care about. I have time for the people I care about. And the decision to retire is a ways off for me, and so I want to make sure you know it's not the only way I've heard this. I know people have stopped trying, I know people who have stopped trying to make a broken relationship work, or have stopped trying to fix a person in their life. 
Letting go has been freeing. I know people who have pivoted careers, moved across the country, even made a change of church. I know people who have made a bet on someone who turned out to be a great partner, people who have welcomed a child. There are so many ways to change your path, to fundamentally alter your heart and your life. And maybe you've made one of those decisions. Maybe you're contemplating one right now. John's own brood asked him what his words meant. And he said to them, share what you have. He told the tax collectors not to extort, the soldiers not to cheat. He invited folks to be satisfied with what they had and share. Imagine if we all decided to change our hearts and lives just around that invitation to be satisfied with what we had and share. And churches, nonprofits, and NPR stations would certainly spend less time this season raising money. I don't know for you, but for me, the word repentance is so specific, so guilt-written, so not my kind of churchy, that it can end up meaning very little for me. I'm grateful today for a broader rendering. As I said, we can debate the full merits of this case. I'm open, but on balance, I'd say, we've relied on guilt too much in religion. What if faith asked us to open our hearts? What if faith asked us to change our lives for the sake of others? And I say these words knowing I'm preaching to a church full of insiders. I know how lucky I am as a preacher to work with this particular brood of vipers. I know, I know that many of you have had this experience, some version of it. You've exchanged a spiritual life of guilt and shame for a practice of faith which gathers the outcasts, which lifts up the poor. You're here because you felt your heart opened. You're not fleeing wrath. And this Advent, I'd invite you to remember. Remember how many in our world so desperately need more good news. And remember that John doesn't just ask us to change our hearts and lives. It's not just about us. John asks us to bear fruit. God's work is never just about an individual. God is always working to set us free in order to set others free. You've had these encounters as well, haven't you? You know what it's like in the midst of an anxious time or a frenzied shopping trip or an awful company holiday party to run into somebody who's just relaxed, who really sees you, who's free, who's not engaged by all the drama. You've had the unexpected laugh, the unanticipated meaningful encounter with someone who cares more about you than about some agenda. Isn't it freeing when you encounter someone who is free? I won't say that's easy. Most of us still function first from our reactive lizard brains. We live in a world where too many people hear words like brood of vipers, and they don't hear the joke. Too many people are told to repent by Christians who think they know what's best. 
John the baptizer appeared in a time not so different from our own. Politics were deadly. Many teachers were corrupt and, not support, and, and were supporting a broken nationalist religion. And John had the sense, and maybe this Advent we can believe it was a God-given word, to say, the people need to be set free. You can lay down the heaviness and the shame of life. You can lay down the busyness. You can change your hearts. Even in the hurried rush of December, at any moment, you can change your inner path. You can stop fleeing. You can stop playing the games of the world and start bearing fruit, fruit that might really help another viper. So that when God comes, when God comes, you might just be paying attention enough to notice. Amen.